0: Hello, welcome back to Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. I hope you are doing really well. Today's quick episode is all about trains. Specifically, we're asking ourselves, why are trains less popular in the US than they are in Europe? I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, and I feel like I mentioned it pretty often on social. I am so interested in passenger trains. Like if there is a train available, I want to take it. I also said in December on our ins and outs list for the year that I think that this is the year of trains in the U S there has been so much investment and so much talk about more commuter rail in the U S and I really do hope to see it pretty soon, or at least expanded. We do have some good seeded ideas for commuter rail in the U S new innovative ideas, kind of updating the transport that we currently have on the rail. But every time we have this conversation of trains in the U.S., there is always the comparison to Europe. So that's what we're attempting to ask today, or I guess attempting to answer rather. Why does Europe do rail so well? I think even just setting the scene, starting off acknowledging that we typically associate passenger travel on trains with Europe. And that's just because of overall ridership. Europe generally has much higher passenger train ridership compared to the US especially. And this high ridership, this normalization of trains is because of, I would argue, the infrastructure set up in Europe, both physical infrastructure, of course, but also social political infrastructure. So for example, there are much more extensive, developed rail networks across Europe. There's intercity networks of rail. There are cross-regional networks of rail. There's country-specific railways. And historically, there's also just a stronger cultural and political emphasis on train travel. I also think the geography is important to note here that Europe has much higher population densities closer together. Again, compared to the U.S. Just geographically speaking, a lot of large European cities are only a few hours away from each other. And for that reason, train is a very attractive mode of transportation. I think the one exception here in the U.S. is the northeast of the country. You have cities like New York, Boston, Philadelphia, D.C. all really close together. And that's an area that historically has had very high rail ridership. I couldn't get a clear-cut 100% answer on the busiest passenger train in the U.S., but it seems that most likely it's the Amtrak Northeast Regional, which is an Amtrak route that travels between Boston and Washington, D.C., If you were to travel the entire length from Boston to Washington, D.C., it would take about eight hours. But this route, of course, can be broken up, and the stops are in other major cities in the Northeast. So New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, all of these cities can be accessed in a very short amount of time. So, for example, the most popular stretch of this line is New York's Penn Station to Washington Union Station. And that particular chunk only takes three and a half hours. And I think this is kind of the perfect comparison to those points we were making earlier about trains in Europe. This particular route is accessible, it's affordable, it runs all day, it's a lot more attractive than sitting in your car for that amount of time going down the highways. Obviously it's connecting major cities and the Northeast portion of the U.S. is also a really just high population density area in general. So it's not just big cities close together, but there's a lot of people. So it makes sense. While we should definitely be prioritizing train travel everywhere. It makes sense that the first places we're seeing it really successful are the most high population dense areas. Switching gears a little bit and looking back at Europe, another big train selling point in Europe is high speed rail. Europe has some very well-developed high-speed rail networks. There are trains that run at speeds of up to 200 miles per hour and connect major cities, so it's actually often faster to ride a train than it would be to like, take a flight, for example. High-speed rail is something that's gotten a lot of chatter, I suppose, in the last few years. Most recently, there's been incredible conversations about high-speed rail in California, To my understanding, this is just like in investment startup phases yet. I do not believe that any high-speed rail has been built yet in California, but it's something that they're talking about a lot because it hasn't really been explored yet in the U.S. There are a couple of Amtrak routes I've found that are high-speed rail. So for example, on that Amtrak Northeast Corridor I just mentioned, that's a high-speed service between Boston and D.C. like we mentioned, and it's called the Acela Express. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. A-C-E-L-A. But for the most part, the ideas we have of high-speed rail in the US haven't really been revisited in the last few decades. I feel like the points we've made so far comparing the US and Europe have really spoken to regional or longer form, I suppose, transportation. But again, also in Europe, trains are a great way to get around individual cities, Paris, London, Berlin, these are all cities that we culturally also associate with trains. It's not just a mode of transportation, but it's really a part of the lifestyle. Unfortunately, by comparison, we really do not have a lot of intercity train travel in the US hardly at all. A lot of that is due to the government subsidies and the investment that would go into that being forced onto an individual city, or I suppose an individual state or a region. When we think intercity train travel in the US, the only strong example that probably comes to a lot of people's minds is the subway system in Manhattan, the Manhattan Transit Authority. Very often, if you're not from the region, we think of this as the New York subway system, but I really wanna make it clear this is only within the city of Manhattan. So even to Americans, our idea of a great, really aspirational intercity train travel operation is not actually as inclusive or extensive as we think it is. Chicago also has a really admirable public transportation system. It's the second largest after New York City. And the second busiest rapid transit system in the U.S. after New York City is the Washington, D.C. Metropolitan Area Transit Authority. So intercity trains definitely exist in the U.S., but they have not been historically as popular or as well-funded as those intercity trains that we've mentioned in Europe. And I know we've mentioned subsidies, investments, political will, but I also think a big reason we have not seen as much intercity train travel or train investment in the U.S is because of this like American dream of independence. I don't wanna go too tangential on this or get on too much of a soapbox, but I've spoken before about walkable cities and the value of walkable communities. I can link some episodes in the show notes on that. But especially in the US, Americans have been sold this idea that in order to fulfill their American dreams, the things that you are always striving towards are getting a house in the suburbs, having land, having space, and we have moved farther and farther away from city centers. So geographically, we are just a lot more spread out but also the idea of the car in American culture has been a huge symbol of independence of freedom historically. Very generally speaking, Americans have been sold this idea that you want a car, you want the independence of driving yourself places, and a lot of our cities were really built for cars. And then I'd say, again on my own soapbox tangent, is that in the U.S., a lot of this notion of freedom and independence and the American dream has bled into NIMBYism around the infrastructure of public transportation. NIMBYism, NIMBY standing for not in my backyard. This is a term you often hear when communities are against perhaps like a landfill being established. This has also in recent years been used to describe communities protesting against wind turbines being too close to them because wind turbines are ugly or solar panels are ugly or whatever it may be. But also when it comes to public transportation, there are communities that will band together to protest a stop being built or public transportation running through their city or their neighborhood. Los Angeles is a perfect example of this. They do have a metro system in Los Angeles. I don't want to say that they don't have anything, but historically, NIMBYism has played a huge part in where that transit system can stop and who it can reach. I will link an episode in the show notes if you want to talk more about Los Angeles. The community planning, community building there. And then my last bit, comparing the US and European train systems. Why does Europe do it so much better? We've mentioned a little bit already. It's subsidies, it's investment. Train travel in Europe is often more affordable than it is in the US because there are a lot of government subsidies and there's a pretty competitive market for train travel. And when I say thanks to government subsidies, I also want to acknowledge that there are different levels of government investing in trains. So we've talked about intercity train travel. We've talked about countrywide train travel. I briefly mentioned Berlin as a city that has very strong train culture, I suppose, where trains are a very big part of the lifestyle. And I'll use that as the example here. So the city of Berlin invested in an intercity rail system. Additionally, the country of Germany invests in a rail system that goes across the country that connects different cities. And then the next level of interest here, of course, being the European Union investing in rail systems that connect multiple countries. There are levels of responsibility when it comes to investing in trains in Europe that have historically been very well respected, I suppose. And again, because of this interconnectivity, because there are multiple parties invested in making sure the trains are running in all different directions across all different regions and all different sizes of travel, I suppose, it's a very, very attractive option. People like the trains. They're affordable. They're very accessible. And by and large, it's easy to move between the systems. So for example, you could take a train from city A to city B, and then once you're in city B, you can switch over to an intercity rail line and get to the neighborhood you're staying in. I will say comparing again, the US and European rail systems, I think something that both do very, very well and that people certainly appreciate is the scenic trains. For example, in Europe, the country of Switzerland makes train travel part of their like tourism board. It's one of the reasons people go to Switzerland to ride the trains. And while in the US I mentioned that there are certainly some very high volume trains in the Northeast, a lot of the Amtrak lines throughout the rest of the country are scenic trains. So for example, they have the Amtrak Coast Starlight. It runs along the West Coast. You can take it from Seattle to Los Angeles and it stops in cities like Portland, Sacramento, San Francisco. And this is one that I feel like I see a lot of photos of, or I see it being advertised kind of often. It's known for these really scenic panoramic views of the Pacific Coast, of the Cascades. And it's packaged as kind of like this train vacation. The train is part of the experience. It's not just a transport means. Selfishly, I'm going to zoom in on Denver. There is an Amtrak called the Amtrak California Zephyr. It stops in Denver, but it runs between Chicago and San Francisco. And it's known to be really scenic panoramic views of the Rocky Mountains of the Sierra Nevadas. You can see Salt Lake City from it. And again, it's sold as like part of the experience. People want to take a train as kind of like a big portion of their vacation. And I'll share another cool Denver-based example. There's a train that runs between Denver and the Winter Park Ski Resort. It's about a two-hour ride. It's officially called the Winter Express. It only runs during the winter months, and then people colloquially will refer to it as the ski train. It's a really popular train and it's also just like a fun activity that a lot of people look forward to during the winter months. There's only one departure each way, each day. So the train runs Friday, Saturday, Sunday. You leave Union Station in Denver at 7 a.m. and then you return from Winter Park leaving at 4.30. So it's a very, very full ski day. But the reason I wanna include this story is I think it's a really great testament to like citizen action and people rallying behind train culture. The story goes, the train started in 1940. Same as today, there was only one trip in each direction per day. And it's kind of described as like a party train in the 60s, There were a lot of young, unsupervised, quote-unquote sometimes rowdy passengers, and it was running regularly with about 1,800 passengers per trip. This particular operation stopped in the early 1970s, and then the train was sold and restarted the ski train in 1988. This run of the ski train from 1988 to 2009 accommodated about 750 passengers. From my understanding, this operation was a combination of passenger rail, as well as like cargo. There was a lot of financial issues behind this particular operation and the 2008 financial collapse really led to its downfall and it stopped running in March of 2009. In 2015, Winter Park Resort, in collaboration with Amtrak and Union Pacific Railroad, which was now the owner of this operation, announced this special one-day only run of the Winter Park Express. And people went kind of crazy. The tickets were priced at $75, everything sold out within 12 hours, And by popular demand, they added a second train for the following day. It also sold out super quickly. And the people of Denver started rallying around this train. They really wanted this train to start running again. And sure enough, all of this financial pressure and all of this community pressure brought on the Winter Park Express once again. It launched formally in 2016. Of course, because this is going to a ski resort, a lot of the passengers are skiers, but within the first full season of the Winter Park Express, Amtrak estimates that about 30% of the riders were non-skiers, people just going up for the day to enjoy the resort and, of course, enjoy the train. It's a special winter tradition, there's only about 40 trips per year, so you have to plan ahead to do it, and again, it's like a really fun rite of passage for people from the city. And I tell that story because as we are hearing more and more about high-speed rail in California, as we're seeing the Brightline expansion in Florida, we know that people want trains, we know that trains are in. And I feel like that coupled with the story of the Winter Park Express really speaks to the power of individual citizens advocating for what they want and what they want their tax dollars invested in. Again, I'll say it, if there's a train around, if a train is an option, I wanna take it. Especially if it's affordable, especially if it's well-connected, I feel like the US is on the right track. And I love looking at European cities as examples for how we can community plan a little bit more consciously here. I think that's where I'll stop us today. Thank you so much for tuning in and thank you so much for indulging in this topic of U.S. versus European trains, how we can learn from them, what we can learn from them. Why are trains so great? I really do hope to see train travel, travel by rail, a norm within our lifetimes, I hope within like the next few years trains are a much more accessible transportation option. I can share some pictures, especially of the Winter Park Express story on my social media. I feel like it's such a fun story and the old photos are really just like heartwarming to know that people rallied so much behind this train that they brought it back permanently, or I guess like semi-permanently seasonally. But I will have all of my links in the show notes if you wanna get in touch, if you wanna find me on social, if you wanna send me an email and make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you're listening today so you never miss an episode. I hope you have a really fabulous rest of your day and I will talk to you very, very soon. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s.